Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. It's Potluck or Raven. The sound of silence, uh, or the sound of frustration, here on Pod Like a Raven. I'm Antonio Bonera, doing my best Simon and Garfunkel impression there to talk about what is going to be a difficult game. Uh, so I'm just going to bring in my co-hosts. I'm not, I'm not going to so over sugarcoat this or get into too much by myself here. Let's bring him in. Starting uh, on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Not not a fun Monday as we record. Uh, are you uh, surviving? Are you getting by? Are you okay? Oh, oh okay. Those are two different questions. Uh, Do I'm, I need to sing again? No, well, <laughs> that always does cheer me up. Uh, I'm breathing. That's pretty much the extent of it. Uh, I, you know, we were kind of talking pre-show here, getting our thoughts together and what have you. And um, I'm I'm. Still irate, and I'm sure there will be some ramblings on this program uh, today. But really, I'm just kind of sad because yesterday or Sunday, I should say, was the realization that the Ravens, as we know them, are officially dead. Um, These are no longer your father's Ravens. Uh, There is no sort of pride. There is no sort of accountability Everything has gone stale, and the team stinks. And, um, yeah, so that's pretty much how I'm feeling, Antonio. Thanks for asking. I'm going to turn to the West Coast here, but first I want to quote him before I introduce him, because uh, Jace Evans may have had the tweet of the week. First of all, if you guys don't follow Jace on Twitter, it's a must. Just get on that, because yeah. you're going to see so much, not stream of consciousness, but stream of emotion as it's as it's happening, which is really what... Twitter is, uh, in a sense, but anyway, Jace with the tweet of the week, quote, the final result was what I expected, but as usual, the Ravens took the most annoying route to get there. Jace Evans on the West Coast, how are you uh, after such fine philosophical thinking? 
Uh, I'm okay, Antonio. I am annoyed still, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it. the thing that disappointed me, I think, the most on Sunday was that that feeling of inevitability. I yeah. wasn't really that mad, certainly compared to the Dolphins game, because as we'll get into it, about halfway into this game, I kind of saw, saw the path <laughs> this game was heading down, and though events unfolded to still... You know, as we saw many times last year, make, make you know, the loss as annoying and frustrating as possible and somehow make you feel worse about a thing you expect. Um, I still kind of saw it coming. And that's, that's, that's what stinks. That's what's uh, unfortunate about it. It's what's annoying about it. It's, it's, this is, I think as Tim said, this is kind of what this team is. It's a team built to not uh, protect these leads. Uh, and, uh. Sunday we had a, a total team effort uh, in the collapse. This wasn't just a one-sided affair. That's that's for sure. So all in all, it was a very a very frustrating game. Uh, again, I'm not mad that they lost. I expected them to lose, but it was in the manner in which they lost. That was the thing that made me annoyed. Yeah, we're talking Ravens Bills here on Pod like a Raven. <laughs> Ravens falling twenty-three to twenty, uh, and boy, this game. I mean, it was it was a perfect three-act play, is the best way I can describe it, where the Ravens won the first act and then lost the second and the third acts, and that's how you lose a football game, especially against a good team. We normally do, you know, let's start offense, then go to the defense, let's start with how good Lamar was, and then go from there, but I'm not doing that. We're going to do this in acts of 20 minutes, basically, uh, because the Ravens owned the first 20 minutes, offensively and defensively, maybe more impressively defensively they were forcing turnovers they were aggressive biting or i should say jumping on routes breaking up passes turning an interception by marlon humphrey into then a touchdown that they were just able to convert so quickly that was unusual to us jk dobbins finding the end zone on a running play inside the five yard line i can't believe it forcing another turnover an odafe owe appearance and a play made boy was he involved in this game in all three acts uh forcing a fumble getting it to be another score off of the turnover, a, a long drive from the offense for another touchdown. It's 20-3 to three at home. The Ravens get the ball back with two minutes left in the first half. Oh, my goodness, they're going to do Tim's favorite thing, scoring before halftime, getting the ball back in the second half. This game could be 30-3 to three before the Bills touch the ball again. And then the wheels came off, fellas, and... The Ravens did not lose this game because of the referees, but a play that I didn't enjoy by the referees was a very blatant early hit on on Demarcus Robinson on a third and five, where 19 times out of 20, that's called pass interference for hitting the receiver too early and would have turned that into a first down with two minutes left, where at the very least, the Bills are not getting the ball back for the end of the half. But anyway, the wheels fall off from there. And then really the Ravens never got back on track with anything. The offense never gets on back on track. And the defense sputters and stalls and makes mistakes. And I'm going to stop there so I don't go on a, on a ramble here because we're just a few minutes in. But guys, act one for the Ravens. Let's you know Maybe some positives if you guys want to talk about that or just jump right into the end of the first half, which is really where this, this game just completely did a 180. Yeah, I'll do a little bit on the beginning because I think the beginning speaks to a something that I think would have 
after the game, you're hearing, oh, my God, the defense got shredded again, and the defense was bad, and the defense, you know, and they, look, they weren't good in the second half, but the, the defense was the reason they lost this game again, giving up another a consecutive drives and what have you. I think the offense is far more to blame for what happened, and I, I'd say that in this first part here, and we're going to get to the middle eight because I have, I have thoughts, and I don't need to do them now before we talk about the beginning of the game. But the beginning of this game kind of showed what this defense is. It might not be an elite defense. It, hell, it might not even be a good defense. But they've got guys that can cause turnovers. Marcus Williams is always around the ball. Adafi Owe showed up positively that way. We will talk about all the negatives, trust me. Um, because Eric DaCosta is not very good at drafting players. Spoiler alert, if you didn't know. Um, and you saw that early. And this is what this team needed to do. And it was kind of like a whole... Ooh, almost just cussed there. This is a family show. Holy crap. The Ravens are kind of executing a perfect game plan here. They're they're turning over Josh Allen. All day, Josh Allen had to throw underneath as well. Uh, I believe here, I have to pull it up because I apologize to him if he listens to this. Spencer Schultz on Twitter, at Ravens for Dummies. I think I liked every one of his tweets, and he <laughs> tweets a lot, and that's not an insult. I mean, everything he tweets is, is very good stuff. But he had a lot of stuff on the defense after the game, you know, and this was this morning. I'm going to die on this hill. The Ravens defense turns the ball over twice. They have two red zone stops. They allowed 23 points to a top five offense. They held the Bills to four and 11, or four for 11, excuse me, on third down. They limited the big plays. They made Josh Allen throw underneath all day, and they played well enough to win this game. And I, I, I put that in the beginning here because this is probably the only chance we're going to have to be positive. The beginning of this game was a microcosm of, in my opinion, how good the defense played. Not, not great. Not great. There are obviously some mistakes. You know, I, I think Jace and I spent a good 15 minutes on the pump fake from uh, Josh Allen rolling left on fourth and one and away for the fourth time that day. Puts his hands up like he's going to pump fake when you can just go at the guy and knock him off his, you know, knock him off his center and probably get a sack, which is good for your paycheck, by the way, Adafe. Um, but, but outside of, of some stuff like that, the defense, in my opinion, did their job. And they did a lot of their job in the very beginning of this game before the wheels completely fell off. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to quibble with the, how this game started. I mean, would I have loved, you know, 20 to 3? I would have loved, I think, two more touchdowns, potentially, you know, if you're we'll up get 28 to, that. to 3. That'd be great. But, yeah, on the whole, how can you complain with how this started? I was I was pleasantly shocked, I'd say, about how, how this game unfolded. And... Um, yeah, I, I, I have very little complaints about the first 20, but as, uh, as we've alluded to the, the wheels, the wheels fell off from there. Yeah. I don't know if I want to give the Ravens defense too much credit. I don't know. Play a whole good game and then yeah. I'll give you credit. <laughs> sure. You know, a, sure. a half of one game. Extremely good. Fair. They got a couple of turnovers. You know, the interception is a tip ball. I mean, it was a good play by Humphrey, but I don't know if I was that excited. It's just so fr Patrick Queen remains just the most frustrating player. He's in no man's land all the time. He uh, like blew through the line on a run play and was like two gaps off of where the play was actually designed to go and just ended up 15 yards into the backfield and then just looked, just turned around and ran after. He got absolutely fooled on a play action by Josh Allen on a rollout where he he was the edge def he was the guy that's supposed to just ensure 
that the play stays contained. And what did he do? He ran directly into the play action and then was outrun by Josh Allen to the sideline when he's your supposed to be the undersized but sideline-to-sideline linebacker. He remains frustrating. Clayus Campbell had a lot of almosts in this game. I feel like he was always like half bringing guys down two yards past the first down marker, sort of frustrated a lot. And then Odafe Owe, my goodness. Just don't jump. Just don't bite. It was like playing Roethlisberger, Antonio. Like, I said that multiple times in this game where Allen was doing things and he's absolutely incredible. You know, I think, hot take, I think he's better quarterback than Lamar Jackson, guys. Sorry about it. Um, And I think, I, I totally get it. And I'm probably giving them a bit too much credit. Too much credit. But I think that they played well enough against an elite, elite, elite offense to win this game. And, yeah, this is a total team loss. But if we're, if we're trying to heap a little bit of praise, because, boy, howdy, we are not going to here in just a second. <laughs> the way they started this game, and then a couple times late, forcing, you know, forcing field goals when it, when it should have been a field goal, bending, not breaking. Again, four for 11. For, for the Bills on fourth, uh, for, excuse me, on third down, you look at it all and it's like, that's enough to win this game. And they didn't. And that's, that's the part that stinks. Then as we turn to the middle of this game, you know, the, the middle of Act 2, let's say, the Bills end up at, you know, contained the entire first half, as Tim mentioned. Then, of course, on the two-minute drill that they have, do they get a field goal at the end of the half? No. They were able to drive all the way down the field, score a touchdown, go into half 20-10. to 10. Um, Boy, I, I talked last week, one of my favorite bets of the weekend was the over in this game, and that was before I remembered that uh, Hurricane Ian was going to have its remnants hit Baltimore by game, by game time, but you had 30 points at halftime. I was feeling pretty good about the over. We're on pace. Uh, did I think the Bills were going to score points and come come back and at least tie the game? Yes. Did I think the Ravens were going to maybe score a point to help this over? Maybe a touchdown here? Maybe a field goal there? Yes. Uh, and then I was very comfortable going into halftime, both with the Ravens' lead and with the over. The Bills did the thing that was expected. They end up scoring on four of their last five drives uh, of this game. The Ravens, however, offensively, a goose egg in the second half. Tim, do you want to take the, the, the middle of this game? The, you know we, We've talked about the end of the first half, and do you want to talk about this middle eight going into the second half? Anything specific? Yeah, so apologies to uh, my parents and my lovely girlfriend who heard this conversation about 13 times while watching the game on Sunday, but they're going to hear it again if they listen to this, although I love my dad. I don't know how, if he knows how podcasts work, so he probably won't be listening to this anyway. But this is the concept of the middle eight in a game, and it's something that Bill Belichick – uh, Patriots coach, if you didn't know, the greatest coach of all time, <laughs> really emphasized, and it was one of those things that people were like, oh, Belichick thinks that's important. It's really probably important because he's really good, and he's right. The middle eight is the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. Essentially what happens here is if you defer or you win the coin toss, whatever, you're not receiving in the first half, so you get the ball to start the second half. If you can capitalize on that and late in the first half, score a touchdown, ideally, or at least get points, and then you basically get a free, uncontested drive where your defense does not have to be on the field to make another stop because it's halftime. that It stops, and then you just get the ball back immediately because that's how football is played. 
you can turn the tide of a football game in what they call this middle eight. Again, last four of the first half, first four of the second half, where you get your touchdown, seven points. Your defense does not have to go back out on the field, or maybe they have to go out with, what, 20 seconds left or a minute, whatever. It's not at nearly as strenuous as it would be. You get the ball back uncontested because these are the rules of the game, and then you can make a team pay with another touchdown. This could be a 14-point swing, Cotton. Like, this could be a thing in this game that legitimately turns things around for you, whether you're down big or you are trying to put a game away. And this is this is where I have lost my faith in the Ravens. A team that was able to... Remember the 14-2 and two season, guys? That was fun. Remember the first year of this podcast where Antonio was always bringing this up? And this was later in games, too. But I think that this is where this game turns, so it's specifically here. The Ravens would go on a 14-play drive, seven minutes, touchdown, run it down your throat, pass play action at the right time, constantly moving the chains, eating the clock, something that they were doing early in this game as well. And then, with about four minutes left, let me see here, yeah, there's, they go on this long drive, 11 plays, seven-minute drive to kind of get us to the point where we're at, where there's only 3.39 left in the second quarter. So they're, they're working their way towards this middle eight field goal there's a delay a game on the field goal by the way which is just the microcosm of all the problems that they have even in this in this drive things are starting to fall apart they have they have some penalties tyler linderbaum terrible game from the rookie had a couple crucial penalties they're getting in constant second and tens third and 18 after another sack a big fourth and nine that turns into a fourth and 14 they can only manage a field goal here that makes it 20 to three uh Yes, excuse me, yeah, 20 to 3. The ESPN, the way they do these play-by-plays is super weird. I apologize. Then, the Ravens defense, and now we're really in the start of this middle eight, forces a punt. Three plays, seven yards. Here we go, boys. This is when we're going to get the ball back. We're going to get the ball back with 2.51 left in the game and drive down the field, score a touchdown, make it 27 to 3, and then getting the ball back, and we can really put this game away. The Ravens of old, your father's Ravens, they would do that. This is not your father's Ravens. Three plays, five yards, a minute. They have to punt the ball away. This is where Antonio says the Bills execute it, and they don't even get the ball back in the second half. And you can, if your defense is playing well enough, you can be the team that takes advantage of the middle eight, even though you are not the team that receives in the second half, which is what the Bills do. 11 plays, 76 yards. And if you look at this, nothing and long, down and long to go. First and 10, first and 10, second and five, first and 10, second and one, third and one, first and 10, second and 10, first and 10, second and 10, first and goal at the four, punch it in, touchdown. End of the half, there's only about nine seconds left. The Ravens kneel it and they get the ball. So it's 20 to 10 right now. It's not ideal, but the fact that you're receiving the ball in the second half, and I apologize, both of these guys are snoring right now, and I'm really sorry about that. You get the opportunity to say, well, we kind of effed it up here, but we can make up for that here. We're going to make adjustments at halftime because that's something that definitely happens with this Ravens team. And we're going to be flying a nice big drive from Greg Roman. Give it to Pat Ricard a couple times. Big first half from Pat Ricard. Uh, oh, three plays minus five yards in, in about a minute and they punt. It's inexcusable. The way this team constantly wants to shoot itself in the foot against opponents who are going to kill you for mistakes like that. What do the Bills do? They go 10 plays, 51 yards, four minutes. So now we are officially out of the middle eight. And they score a field goal there and get it to a one-score game. 
And that is where the wheels have fallen off. Antonio puts it in here, and I know. I, I'm tired of the Bogart conversation. Yeah, he had a bad game. There was, there was a play. The thing that I'm not hearing mentioned a lot, the Demarcus Robinson one, yeah. It should be called. The Ravens should be moving the chains there. Fine. But they're, they're doing enough to hurt themselves to, to bring the referees into it, I find a bit egregious. The Bills had one earlier. It was the same thing. Brandon Stevens kind of came in early. Probably could have been called too, but wasn't. But we're not hearing about that one because the Bills actually won the game. I, I do think the Demarcus Robinson one is worse, but what have you. That's where I'm kind of just like, I don't really care about the referees here. This is where it falls apart. So after the middle eight is done, and, and this rant, mercifully, is almost done, it's a one-score game, 20-13, to 13, and then here's how the rest of the game goes. Ravens punt. Bills touchdown. Ravens interception. Bills punt on three and out. Good job by the defense. Ravens interception on a fourth down call when you had the greatest kicker of all time. Bills drive down the field, field goal, game over, see ya, Harbaugh's fired. No, that's actually not true, but that's what I wanted post-game. <laughs> and Tim, no, it's a, a penalty. I'm going to say this quickly, Jace. On both of those drives that you talked about with the Ravens, the three and outs, each of them had yes. a penalty by a rookie offensive yep. lineman. Yes. So you want to speak to inexperience or roster construction, and, and that's how you get mistakes, is having needing rookies to play prominent roles on your team. Jace, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it's such a good point by Tim, because I, you were really on this, Tim, in the text thread, I think even before, like, halftime, really, you were kind of texting us about this, about how the the way the first half ended, and personally, I wasn't even too concerned about giving up the, the, the touchdown to the Bills, you know, before halftime, you're still up 10, but that three and out to start the second half was so bad, and that's that's when my alarm uh, bells started going off, and when I said, oh, this is like how this is going to go um and it was just so disheartening because you know you place like relatively such a good you know first 20 minutes and then uh it just completely falls apart and then you know this game's tied after the third quarter and it really felt like the ravens were losing the vibes were bad everything was bad and it just i mean there's a lot to get into with how the the rest of the game unfolded and you know, some of the guys we mentioned play into this. Patrick Queen has uh, interception pretty much bounce off his face. Yeah. That would have ended the Bills' first half drive without any points, of course. And then Back-to-back -back weeks for that, too, which is also back -back nice to weeks. see. And as Antonio mentioned, then he had, uh, I believe that was the, the Allen touchdown, or maybe that was in the third quarter. But, yeah, not a good game for Patrick Queen, and that could have been a chance to make a play. To, to keep it at 20-3 going into half, you're in great shape, even if the Ravens don't get points there. Instead, it's a 10-point game. So it's just plays like that that just add up, and I feel like a, a culmination of issues we've talked about, about defensive playmakers and then offensive stalling and all that. And so it's just that was such a good point, and, and it really led for me to a, just a sinking feeling that pretty much per, permeated myself the entire second half i just was well like, that's oh, the no. thing jace that's the thing like i'm i'm a pessimist right jace is a pessimist like and he <laughs> i i know he doesn't mind me saying that because he is and we watch these games and jokingly like if you don't know this this show started a long time ago back in college and i had to unfollow jace on twitter because he <laughs> even he was surpassing my levels of this team's things even the didn't, most didn't even mute him. Just unfollow the full unfollow. Oh, it was a very dramatic time in yeah. the pod like a Raven group. Yeah, I don't even know if there was a mute function. It doesn't matter. <laughs> what you could tell 
You can just tell. And the, the thing that I really hate about this team, you talk about really good teams, right? And the, like, the narrative with the Bills after the Miami game was, what happens when you punch a good team in the mouth? Are they allowed to respond? This Ravens team is not good, and they do that anyway. They do not respond to getting punched in the mouth. Mistakes happen, and they crumble. It's not a, hey, guys, rah, rah, rally together. We got this. Don't worry about it. Move on. Next play, next play, next play. You hear none of that from – I mean, you don't hear it, obviously. We're not on the sidelines. But any Ravens fan – Antonio might not admit this. Who knows? But I'm sure there was a bit of a sinking feeling in his gut too. And he's the most optimistic Ravens fan I know. And even he was probably like, mm, man, they're up 10, but like wh what is going on here? The vibes, as the kids say. The vibes are not good right now. And this is not just a one-week thing. This is not just a – 2022 season thing. I don't give a damn that everybody was hurt last year and they're like, oh, they really toughed out some games. The vibes weren't good anyway. There's something inherently wrong with a team, a football team, who can't get punched in the mouth, especially one that comes from this town that wears purple and black, that has legends like Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and Jonathan Ogden, and they're known for tough football and and you know, just bash your face in for four quarters and known as the team that nobody wants to see in the playoffs and, you know, undefeated at the bank split on the road and we're 12 and four like that when there were 16 games. It just feels so much worse to grow up as a Ravens fan knowing that that was the mantra. Yeah, they might be eight and eight. Yeah, they might be, you know, it's a 17, 10, 9, 6 game. But you know what? The Ravens are going to find a way to win. And sure, don't get me wrong. And Antonio shot me down earlier pre-show, and he was absolutely right. The, the Ravens have always made colossal mistakes in big moments. Like, they, they do that a lot. Trust me. But it almost seemed like an aberration or a, oh, man, I can't believe at the championship game. This is where, this is where they screw up. Like, oh, they screw up against the Steelers in the, a massive divisional game to take like to win the division crown that really stinks this team is doing it in week two and four against afc east opponents and i worry that that is now the identity of the baltimore ravens and until they prove otherwise it is and that's the thing that that's the thing that's you know pretty terrible yeah the pushback on the identity thing i, I have two two small bits on this my high school friends and I, who was the group that I go to the, the the road games with still, we used to call it the third quarter lull, and that yeah. was a term that we had coined from 15 years ago. The team would look good, they'd have a lead against better teams, and then in the third quarter they would not get a first down, or Flacco would like not complete a ball with air yards past like two yards downfield, and then all of a sudden they were behind and then they'd have to play catch-up and whatever. You'd have the back-breaking Flacco fumble, and then they would lose big game. I remember that. I remember that as a thing. But when we're talking about the, let's call it the Lamar Jackson era, this sort of rebirth that Harbaugh had when he was on thin ice uh, in the organization, they had the 2019 season where all the fourth downs seemed to just work. All the bold calls seemed to work. The go Going for two... They would convert it, going for the you know two-point conversion. They would get it, and it was like, wow, this team had... That's the identity. They don't care. They believe in themselves. They believe in the analytics, uh, and the math is proving them right. And that was the season that you won 14 games. 
And that has been sort of the inverse, has been the problem the last season and a half, let's say. They are struggling mightily to get these fourth downs. They cannot get two yards on the ground when the other team knows that they're running the ball. They had last season with all the two-point conversions went the other way. In this game, the Ravens had a fourth and inches on their own 34-yard line in the second half with the game tied at 20 with the Lamar Jackson. He scrambled on third down, and he did the reach over the line, and they didn't give it to him. I thought it was clearly a first down uh, on the run. And Harbaugh had a decision, and this was in the face of a lot of those fourth and shorts being disastrous over the last couple of weeks and from last season. And he went for it on fourth down and inches on their own 34, where if they don't get it, Bills are scoring a touchdown with a short field, almost guaranteed. And they did get the first down. They just kept it in Lamar's hands, and I thought that you talk about the optimist in me. I thought, wow, that's an important play for the down and distance, whatever, for the situation. But it's important for the team. He was not afraid of all the previous fourth down failures in their own deep in their own territory, let's say. And they did it anyway, and they succeeded. I was like, here we go. This is what they needed. This is how you get the juice going for a long drive to take the lead back. And instead, you had an interception three plays later with what was a horrendous, horrendously low thrown ball from Lamar Jackson that shouldn't really happen. I mean, I know you're allowed to have tip passes. The ball hit the defender like in the shoulder pad. It was ridiculously low. And just like that, what I thought was this like a monumentally important moment for the identity of the team was gone off of a distracted, let's say, throw from Lamar Jackson, and all of a sudden the Bills have the ball back. And they didn't score on that that next drive. You know, the Ravens' defense played well, but could have been a moment. Could have been a moment for this team to capitalize, take the lead back, put the pressure back on the Bills. They would not score for the rest of this game. Jace, do you have anything on this before we get into the last two drives for either team? Real quickly, Jace, because this literally just came across my Twitter feed on this situation before you go. And and I know we'll talk about the fourth down towards the end of the game, but I thought this was interesting. So Daniel Reese, uh, DP Reese, R-E-E-S-8 on Twitter, a football data guy, Ravens fans who does a lot of Ravens stuff as well. I'm just quoting his two tweets here, which I think brings up to Antonio's point spot on. So it's kind of just amazing that this came across since 2019 the ravens have successfully converted 73.3 percent of fourth and two or less that's third best in the nfl between uh, 2019 and 2021 they had one fourth and two or less with goal to go and it was successful so obviously on the goal line what have you if we expand that out to five yards or less they were two for three so important thing fourth and two or less 73 percent of the time they're getting it however Since 2019, the Ravens have successfully converted on only 48% of goal-to-go situations within the two-yard line. Think about that. Within the two-yard line to score a touchdown, the Ravens, Gus Edwards, Pat Ricard, J.K. Dobbins, Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, Isaiah Likely now, who, by the way, James Prochet Award, Jesus, 48% less than half they have gotten that they have gotten a touchdown in those situations sixth worst in the NFL over that time span that's an astonishing stat uh frankly Tim and I'm glad you brought it up it just just so much went wrong I do think it's probably worth diving in to how this game ended because I do think it's sort of a microcosm of this team And, and we mentioned like how how the drive stalled out 
it didn't stall out. This was a classic 2019 Ravens drive that led to this just controversial decision. 14 plays, 93 yards, 929 in the fourth quarter to take the lead. Nope. No taking the lead. <laughs> um, I'll hand up. I'll say I actually supported John Harbaugh's decision to go for that fourth down uh, in the moment. Uh, I, I thought it was fine. Fourth and goal at the two. The situation Tim just laid out to us. Um, I thought it was a good decision. Uh, but, you know, it did obviously didn't work out. But the reason I thought it was a good decision also reflects badly on John Harbaugh. I thought it was a good decision because I think the Ravens defense stinks and had stunk for the second half of this game. Uh, and I thought... I, I even wrote in my notes, I said, I, I wrote to myself, I said, they needed seven there uh, before I realized they were even going for it. Because I thought they were going to kick the field goal and Josh Allen and company are going to drive down with four minutes to go, take the lead on a touchdown. It's basically what we saw against the Dolphins two weeks ago, where we kick the field goal, they go down, they get the touchdown, they win in regulation, we don't even get a chance at overtime. So I thought that's what was happening, and I was fine with it in the moment. In hindsight... You should probably kick the field goal there. <laughs> but in the moment, I was cool with it. Um, but I do think, regardless of the reason for it, um, it not working, that you have so little faith in your defense, you decide to go for it. I think it all kind of reflects poorly on John Harbaugh in the end. I'm going to hard disagree, Jace. I don't, I don't need hindsight. You go for it in that situation. I want to go for it every single time. And I'll tell you why this worked out as poorly as it possibly could. Because the entire point, not the entire point, the the second most important reason that you go for it on fourth and goal from deep, 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 like let's call it inside the five, is that even if the play fails, the odds of the other team's offense being able to drive from their own two-yard line and score is very, very low. So even if you fail, the Bills are so pinned on their own goal line, they're very likely going to have to punt, and you can have another opportunity with a short field to kick the game-winning field goal to end the game. What happens on fourth and goal from the two? It's intercepted in the end zone for a touchback and nullifies the entire point. Let me back up again. The second most important reason why that is the play to make every single time. And that's what drives me insane. That's the optimist in me, that even if it failed, why couldn't it be an incomplete pass? And then the Bills start on their own two-yard line. They could even have a sack. They could have a holding in the end zone, and the Ravens get a safety. It is dangerous to be on your two-yard line. But what happens? It's intercepted on a ball where Duvernay was open for about 10 seconds, but Jackson didn't see him because he zeroed in on his guy, Mark Andrews, on that play, who was at least covered, maybe even double-covered. And it's frustrating, and that's my comment here, and I'm going to back off uh, and let get Tim's opinions here, but... Well, yeah, it's... Go for it. No, it's... <laughs> get, succeed, or don't throw an interception. It's really interesting, Antonio, because I see the point there, like, and I, and I can't disagree with it. You know, you think if they're going to... If you're going to go for it, it's kind of one of those, yeah, like, maybe you have the conversation. Try and make a play, but pin him deep. Now... If you're going to have a quarterback who, don't get me wrong, we love him, playing it before this week at MVP level, you know, he's been obviously very, very good. 
He had two very, very stupid passes in this game. He actually had three stupid passes, and one of them worked and became a viral clip. But that's, you know, something for a different day. That wasn't a good throw, people. I mean, it was just, it was another like, whoa, Lamar, he's crazy. But it wasn't a very good throw. Um, and he makes two incredibly costly mistakes on interceptions that hurt this game. Um, I heard, you know, I was listening to, to Pardon My Take earlier, and Big Cat made the point, and I don't know why I was, like, hate listening to it. The good, great podcast, just hard to listen to NFL content when your team is just stinks like that. Um, and, but he made the point, and I think it's, it's a good one. If you're, if you're the Ravens, your identity is to go for it. Like, that's what you do. You, since 2019, you have established this whole, like, we love when Harbaugh's, like, on the sideline, like, hey, Lamar, you want to go for it? All right, let's go for it, and this whole thing, right? And I don't know enough about the play call and was it a bad play call or whatever. And this might be old man football in me, but I completely disagree with both of you. I think that you, and maybe it is hindsight, but I think in, even in the moment, I was like, just kick the field goal. The, the team had just made um, Allen go three and out. Maybe you can do this stupid, this stupid, we'll kick it on the one rather than through the end zone and try and tackle him early. Even though that never works, John. We could try that and maybe get them on, like, the 15 rather than the 25. And then, you know, they don't have to drive all the way. I know a touchdown would put more pressure on the Bills. But for me, getting the field – I understand in analytics people scream at you for this or whatever. I feel like getting the field goal because it's more guaranteed than touchdown, which obviously didn't work out, you know that you're already going to have a modicum of pressure on the Bills – rather than the high-risk, high-reward of lots of pressure, zero pressure, which they obviously had zero, and they just walked down the field and won the game. Um, so I would have taken the points there. Like, I know NFL kickers. This is Justin Tucker we're talking about. There was, like, the 51-yarder. I legitimately subconsciously looked at my phone and started scrolling Twitter because I was like, oh, he's going to make this, whatever. And, <laughs> and I looked up, and I was like, oh, my God, that was a 50 50- why wasn't I watching that? And I was like, oh, wait, yeah, it's the, it's the greatest kicker of all time. Like, he's going to go into the Hall of Fame as a kicker if he keeps this pace up. I take the points and say, look, if they beat us with a touchdown, they beat us with a touchdown, fine. Defense didn't show up, whatever. But to do it the way they did, and then we could talk about what happened on the defense miscommunicating. I mean, dear Lord. It might have been worst-case scenario, and for that, maybe this is hindsight talking, but I can tell you, even in the moment, I was like, just take the three – and let's see if in the rain and the wind and the mud, this defense can make another stop. Again, the defense who held them to four for 11 on third down and made Allen go underneath all day. And he did, and he won, and good for him. But maybe one more moment of magic, they could have had it, and you didn't allow them to do that. And that's the thing that frustrates me. On the final drive for the Bills, 12 plays, 77 yards. And a field goal. And nothing happened in between that we need to discuss. Oh, wait. We need to discuss Odafe Owe. With a couple of doozies on this drive. Third and two from the Buffalo 28. Three minutes left. Great situation. Just stop on third down and you can get the ball ball back and, and go and go down and kick the game-winning field goal. Josh Allen steps up. Josh Allen steps back. Looked like Odafe Owe had two chances to just tackle him. Uh, he's just... It's very perplexing to me, uh, and this is you know level one concern of a first-round draft pick. The pros for him were the combine-type stuff. He ran a ridiculous 40-time. All the strength is there. The speed is there. The burst. 
He looks slow as hell closing on court of... I've never seen a guy... I shouldn't say never, but I struggle with him when it looks like he is a yard away from a quarterback being unable to close the distance. And that has happened all season. And it happened in this instance where Allen was just sort of easily able to shift his way around him and scramble and then turn the third and two into first down. And that's when that's when you really start getting nervous and you really see the writing on the wall. We then get to the Bills having the ball with two minutes left. Uh, or I should say inside of two minutes, the Ravens can no longer call timeouts to get the ball back. And that's when it becomes the you start to whisper to the person next to you, the Ravens should really let them score here. They, sh- they should try to let them score a touchdown so that they have any chance of getting the ball back with any time left. And it, it's, in a th- it's a situation where the ball is on the 11-yard line, so even the whisper is like, it's going to be hard to pull this off because you have to get them, you have to drag them 11 yards into the end zone. The Bills had not decided, I guess, to prevent that from happening. That You talk about, you know, chess moves back and forth because Devin Singletary, he went for it. He was running hard, and he went eight yards. Calais Campbell on this play just stands up and doesn't do anything. He doesn't offer any sort of resistance. Marlon Humphrey has an opportunity to tackle him, and he does the, like, Madrid bullfighting Olay and lets him just run right past him. And he is heading to the end zone, and Olay is there again to make the stop. Jumps right on top of him, stops him perfectly at the three-yard line, and the game was essentially over. Three different Ravens on the field immediately, like, threw their arms up in shock. The entire team then went to talk to Owe after the play. I hate it. It's the most they showed, they did a cut of the sideline, and you can see the defensive coordinator McDonald can't believe what he's seeing. Harbaugh can't believe what he's seeing. There's some dude in like the Raven sweats who can't believe what he's seeing. I don't even know who that was. <laughs> and I hate it. And this is what Tim is talking about from the beginning. The identity of the Ravens. You have to be on the same page. That has to be communicated. They made up some, like, BS thing that an opportunity was to also try to strip the ball. No. No. (laughs) The tackle should not be possible. And he literally, sure, I saw him punch at the ball. I also saw his entire body weight jump on top of Singletary to push him to the ground. I hate it. And that's what's frustrating. And the eight other things that have been frustrating. Jace, we, you know, we've, I feel like Tim and I may have, we've put a stranglehold on, on some of this, but... Just take it away. Talk talk me off, not off the ledge, but huh. is this what's bothering Jace? Can you give me a what's bothering Jace? Was it the mo- this the most frustrating part? What else do you want to talk about here? Um, For me personally, no. But uh, I'll, I'll hand up and just admit I was so uh, disgusted by the Ravens at this point that uh, I'm not going to say I was watching everything that happened, but I was kind of in a fugue state just accepting what was coming to me. Um, so I, I, I didn't really process all of this in real time until I was like, oh, they should have let him score. That was bad. Uh, <laughs> and so they clearly messed up. Uh, if you want to get really bad, Antonio, uh, I, this isn't helping you walk you off the ledge, but here's, here's the direct Oway quote. We were in the huddle and the call was either strip the ball or let him score. I'm trying to strip the ball out. If you watch the film, you'll see it. He fell down. If the call was to let him score, I would have let him score. 
Of course he fell down, you moron. If you watched last week, Devin Singletary got screamed. It's the Ken Dorsey meme of throwing his toys out the pram because he didn't execute a late game situation. So you know what they did all week long? They made sure Devin Singletary knew about late game situations. And that's exactly what he did. You are a first round talent at defensive end going up up against an undersized running back you lay a finger on him and he's gonna leap to the ground like a soccer player like you what are you thinking getting anywhere close to him sorry jays this is your time but antonio is so right it's the commute it's the lack of communication and the excuses after that they're just like this is not the commanders we are not commanders fans here we are ravens fans we expect something more from this and you failed us again Again, it was, it was at the point he could have just dragged him into the end zone at that point. It was so close. Like, do that instead. Well, that's 100%. It's just lack of situational awareness. It's Singletary had it because he said he just fell down. Yeah, he did because he saw, oh, damn, this guy's like dumb enough, frankly, to touch me. I'm going to fall down. And he knew what the score was. He knew the situation. Uh, and, yeah, your first round pick didn't. You know, I think this is a conversation that extends. Uh, Owe, I think, in particular, is a microcosm of some of the Ravens' greater issues. Not only are you relying on him to be your entire pass rush, a lot of JPP today, that wasn't the plan uh, for your 2022 season. Um, uh, so not only are you relying on this guy who played like four years of football total before coming to the NFL, uh, you know, it, it's it, it was. I don't want to say it was a questionable draft pick at the time, but you were you were banking on certain things and development with your coaching staff, and I think this is where Harbaugh comes in. The development hasn't been there. The situational awareness wasn't there uh, because it all comes back to John Harbaugh at the end of the day. And I I think um, I, I think we we dove into this a little bit. And I think that endgame sequence and then Marcus Peters yelling at Harbaugh about uh, presumably the decision to go for it on fourth down in the first place and then the end of the game. It's Marcus Peters. It could have been a combination of all of the above. Uh, he didn't talk to reporters, so it's hard to say what his his thoughts were. But even then, Harbaugh says with after getting this uh, the clear verbal altercation with one of his best players on the field, Harbaugh says, we're on the same page. You're not on the same page. <laughs> if you were, you wouldn't be arguing on the field with your players. So I guess it's, uh, the whole end of game sequence for me is just a long way to get into a, an un un uncomfortable and hard conversation about John Harbaugh and um, if things have just grown stale. Because um, I'm kind of of the mind it is. I think Tim has more thoughts on this topic, but it certainly has not been a banner display for Harbaugh lately. I mean, guys, like, this is... We're in one of the worst stretches of Ravens football, like, we've ever seen. And it's it's hard to think of it that way. But this was... This the, this endgame sequence produced... You know, you end up losing the game 23-20 after this just botched endgame offensive and defensive sequence, but both ends fail. This is their fifth straight home loss. They've never lost five straight home games before. In the history of the Ravens, 27 years of football, they've never lost five straight home games until the uh, until right now. Uh, they've lost seven straight one-score games. So you're just not executing in the big moments. And, you know, Tim, you sent us this tweet via CBS. The Ravens were 103 in their first 26 seasons when taking a 17-point lead at any point in the game. 
and the 2022 Ravens are one and two in that scenario. So two of the Ravens' five blown 17-point leads have occurred in the first four weeks of the season. You know, you changed the defensive coordinator. They did rise all the way to 30th in yards against after this game, but you're still 32nd versus the pass, so you might as well be dead last still in today's NFL. So, you know, it's... It just seems like Harbaugh doesn't have the answers anymore, and I'm not calling for him to get fired, but something has to change, uh, I think, end of it. And I think a lot of the problem is, I think there's a lot of just bad players on this team, or just players that just aren't good enough, and that's a GM problem, but Harbaugh's certainly not getting the most out of those guys either. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't think the conversations is hard. Um, I don't think it's fire him tomorrow. And, like, this is the whole thing. There's been people calling for Harbaugh's head for a long time. And, frankly, (laughs) I have thought every single one of those people was absolutely ridiculous. He is currently one of the best coaches in the NFL. And I don't don't think you fire him today. I don't think you fire him in week eight. I don't think you fire him in week 12. But if this team does not make the playoffs or does not – I mean, bar none, make the playoffs. But if they don't significantly improve as well and it's, you know – even if it's look, they're not going to do this if he makes the playoffs. But if they make the playoffs and it's fluky and it's clearly fluky, I think he goes. And I think it's the same reason Billick went. I, I think Harbaugh is a much better coach than Billick, but Billick was a damn good football coach and a damn good head coach. And you know what happened? The message got stale. They started calling training camp camp cupcake. The players ran the locker room. John Harbaugh comes in, completely changes the tone of it. You're going to have to do something different now because players are all complete divas now at this stage. But he comes in, and he almost causes a mutiny in the locker room with the likes of Ray Lewis and Ed Reed wanting to throw him out by his jockstrap. And you know what? He toughed it out, he got him on side, and he won an effing Super Bowl with those guys in Ray's last ride. That was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. And what has happened since? The Joe Flacco contract comes up. The team is just stale. We've joked about it on this show. Three of the most diehard Ravens fans I have in my life kind of stopped paying attention to the point where, like, the game was on, but, you know, it might have been on the iPad while I was playing Destiny or something. Who knows? And it, it got to... They kind of rebounded. They get Lamar Jackson. It's an amazing pick. They come back up. And then now we're at a point where I think we're back with the Billick point, where a lot of a lot of fans will go, well, who are you going to replace him with? Well, I don't know. They didn't have John. You didn't have John Harbaugh on the tip of your tongue in 2008. Like, get that. Shut up. Shut up. This this is the point where the Ravens, who were historically pretty good at this, and they're like the, these franchises. They keep their guys for a long time. They don't like a lot of turnover, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. But you also have to recognize when change is needed before things really, really hit the can. And we might be getting to that point. And something this, you know, Jace has mentioned it a couple times with DaCosta and drafts and like how secretly important this last draft was with Linderbaum and Hamilton, which, I mean, Kyle Hamilton, what is he doing in the first four weeks? That, that's a different conversation we could have uh, for, for a later show. But I think Steve Bashotti and this organization – they might know now, or they should know now, and Harbaugh probably knows now. This might be do or die, uh, because even I know they just extended him, and that's fine, whatever. Contracts don't mean anything in the National Football League, and the Ravens just—they cannot keep going on this trajectory and just then just 
throw their hands up and be like, well, the refs were bad. Like, come on. Harbaugh's testiness in uh, press conferences this year, I think, would say that there's a little bit of a pre- there's more pressure on than other years. Yeah. He feels it a little bit. I agree. If the team doesn't make the the writing was on the wall at the end of last season with the firing of one of the top coaches, right? They fired the defensive coordinator. That was the choice. If this team doesn't go to the playoffs again, the other two coaches will be removed, being the head coach and the offensive coordinator. And if they don't make the playoffs, that's probably valid. Uh, there's too much talent at the top of this roster. A couple of extra things that I want to mention before we get away from this game. Justice Hill maybe was having the best game of his Ravens career. Crazy. Uh, so he got hurt because that's how these things have to work in Baltimore. I haven't heard any news yet on the injury, if it's serious or not, but that's frustrating. Uh, and then Rashad Bateman, who I think I mentioned this 800 times this summer, was when Rashad Bateman got nicked up, what was the wide receiver room going to look like? He left the stadium in a boot, which is always one of those fun, is it a a half a week injury or is it an eight week injury? We don't know yet. No news on that. Just a midfoot injury is what what has been said so far. Um, Jason Pierre-Paul played a ton in this game after being signed like three days ago. So that speaks to the need at the position. Thought he played okay. Uh, not a lot of bursts in terms of actually rushing the passer. A lot of tackles past the line of scrimmage, which is nice. That's a good good start there. Um, and then we talked about Linderbaum. I think he had three penalties in this yeah, game? At three. least two. Yeah, so three penalties. He had his rookie game. Hopefully he can bounce back from that. And then I'm the optimist of the three, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish this with a couple of positives. Not even positives, but... The, the Bills were the Super Bowl favorite. They are the Vegas favorite to win the Super Bowl, and they played them down to the wire uh, in a rainy, ugly game where they lost by three points. They are going to be favored, I, and I did a little bit of a forward-looking research on this. The Ravens will be favored in 10 of their final 13 games. I'm not saying they're going to win all those games, but you know who's the best at picking which team is going to win which game? Las Vegas. And if they still have the Ravens favored in 10 of the final 13, this is when the schedule is supposed to soften up. This is when the fourth place schedule is supposed to appear. Uh, and they're not going to be playing the Super Bowl favorite week in, week out. So I, I think there's a stretch ahead where the Ravens can turn things around, get some of those guys back who have been off. In Stanley's case, for three years, uh, the Tyus Bowser return, the Gus Bus return, the J.K. Dobbins being at full strength. And we will see what happens in the weeks to come. That's it for this game. Let's turn now to the Random Raven, where Tim is up this week. Tim, is it is it Ronnie Stanley? Is that your Random Raven? Uh, a once great player who's been forgotten because he hasn't played in years. Yeah, no, it's not quite. I should say just... Uh, I, the one, one of my favorite things from the end of this game, too, and I know we're trying to get off of it because we got to move on, was a couple people, including like a Big Ten football reporter, were like, Ravens holding a press conference at 3.30 on Monday and, like, tweeting that out, and everybody's like, oh, is Harbaugh out? First of all, Harbaugh always has a press conference on Monday. It's usually at 4, so what is this? Is it the one right before it? It's Jimmy Smith is retiring a Raven, and congrats (laughs) to Jimmy Smith. Good for him. Super Bowl champion, what have you. Probably too good to be a random Raven, but the way that these uh, we've kind of whittled down the list might end up there someday. We'll have to see, (laughs) including this guy. Um, I am going to put it to you two right now. If you guys do not get this random Raven, this podcast is over because oh there is no way this is, this is very much a, for the listeners one, I think. And I think, I think 
95% of our listeners will get this as well. But it's still a fun, like, oh, yeah, he was a Raven. But you're going to get it. Pressure's on. Clue number one. This player joined the Ravens as an undrafted free agent out of Texas. He spent 11 seasons in the league with the Ravens and only one other team. Clue number two. This player won a Super Bowl in his four, during his four years in Baltimore. But across those four years, he only started 19 games. I promise it gets easier. Don't worry. Clue number three, starting here. This three-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, and one-time AP Offensive Player of the Year's best season in Baltimore was in 1998, where he started 13 games and ran for 1,008 yards. Uh, hmm. Clue number four. Ooh, I thought I had it there. And I thought you I, did, too. And, and, and now I do not anymore. Continue. <laughs> Clue number four. This player currently holds the record for career rushing touchdowns and career total touchdowns for the other team that he played for. And clue number five. Maybe this was a little bit harder than I thought. I don't know. Clue number five. This player wore Dewan Landry's number in his rookie season. He then switched to Devontae Freeman's number before rocking Jamal Lewis's number when he moved to the Chiefs. Okay. Oh, that final clue probably cements it, I'm sure. But yeah. Probably, yeah, probably should have had it before, before that. But, uh, might be one of those where I'm looking at the name, so I'm like, of course they're going to get this. And then if you don't have the name in front of you, it might seem a bit bit more difficult. I didn't know what school he went to, so that <laughs> put me behind the eight ball. I was, I was stunned that he was undrafted. I had no idea about that. Uh, we will have Tim go over those clues again at the end of the episode. Uh, and I think, I think Jace and I have this one. Uh, and I hope we do, because otherwise we'll, <laughs> we'll have to shut things down. <laughs> Before we talk about the NFL and the Ravens versus the Bengals. All right. Looking at the NFL, looking at the AFC North to start, the Bengals winners in their Thursday night game against the Dolphins. Dolphins finally lose a game. We're not going to talk about Tua. It's old news at this point. You've probably heard it in 18 other places. Um, To me, that win is somewhat fraudulent by the Bengals because of how the second half of that game went. Um, But Cincinnati currently 2-2 with the Ravens. The Steelers, oh my, they're bad. They're very bad. Their quarterback situation is worse. They finally had Kenny Pickett come into the game. His first throw was an interception. His final throw was an interception. I'm not too concerned. I know he's a rookie. I know it was his first taste of NFL action, and it's always harder being thrown in mid-game as opposed to at the start. But it's like, I'm feeling it's a little bit of a relief to not have to worry so much about Pittsburgh in this division. They're now 1-3. and three. Uh, And the Browns. Browns, I guess, they lost to the Atlanta Falcons, and I'm going to pull up the box score very quickly here, because uh, it doesn't really make sense. The Browns rushed for 177 yards, they averaged 5.1 yards per carry, meanwhile Marcus Mariota completed seven passes on the day, and threw an interception, and the Browns losers 23-20 to in Atlanta, the Browns also 2-2. Two and two. Uh, guys, is there parody in the NFL? Is the AFC North just bad? I mean, I have in my notes here, the Chiefs are still good. The Eagles are very good. That's all I know. I have no other insight on all these teams. The Texans are very bad, I guess. They're 0-3-1. They got that tie in there. And then seemingly everything else is just like a mix of 
good game, bad game, mediocre game, great game, who knows what you are. We're a month in here. This is typically when cream starts to rise and there's just a ton of parity, I guess, or mediocrity in the middle of the NFL. Yeah, I think it's very much of, you know, and we're all doom and gloom. And and the way the Ravens are losing games, I think it's warranted, trust me. But I think you ask pretty much every fan base and they're kind of like, eh, you know, eh." They're, they're either that or, like, we stink. Let, like, let's try and get C.J. Stroud uh, in, in the draft. Like, that's basically it. Um, on the AFC North individually, I just do love this stat. If you listen to football podcasts like we do, you have heard this. But there, there is just some glorious football guy stuff from the Atlanta Falcons here against the Browns. They figured out you can't stop the run. So what did they do? Uh, I'm going to go pull up one drive here, and this is uh, end of third quarter, start of fourth quarter. Run to the left. Run to the left. I'll just six yards, five yards. Run to the right for 14 yards. Run to the right for nine yards. Run to the left for four yards. Run to the left for seven yards. Run to the right end for 14 yards. Run to the right for six yards. Run to the right for five yards. Run to the left for five yards. Touchdown, Atlanta Falcons. They get the ball back again. And the first four plays of that next drive, run for five yards. Run for 21 yards. Run for two yards. 14 straight run plays. From the Atlanta Falcons, basically Arthur Smith said, you can't stop us. You don't have Miles Garrett right now. We are going to run it down your throat. Something the, the old Ravens used to do uh, before they turned into this team. So that was just that was fun to see. And on the Steelers, too, you know, I, I, I admittedly didn't see a ton of that game. I was kind of on red zone as I was watching the Ravens do what they did. Um, but I think, you know, it was funny that Pickett threw three picks. I don't know if any of them are his fault. Um, I think that the Chase Claypool one on the deep ball, yeah, it's an underthrown deep ball, but it's a 6-5 receiver against like a 5-9 DB. Like, make the play, man. Like, what, what are we doing? Um, so, we'll see. I'm, I'm not ready to be like, oh, Pickett stinks too. Like, I still think there could be, and maybe it's just, you know, PTSD with the Steelers. But I still think there could be some magic there where it's like, oh, God, this, this rookie's going to come in and maybe not be amazing, but he's going to make them win some games they shouldn't, including the, game, the Ravens games. This segment does always make me feel a little better about the state of the Ravens because every team is mediocre this year, and that's both good and bad. If we think the Ravens are in desperate need of change at the end of the year, they're going to be in the division race. The AFC North is bad. You know, the Browns are treading water kind of until Deshaun Watson gets back. The Steelers, as we said, appear to be quite bad, especially with uh, TJ Watt out. Um and so, yeah, the division they're in kind of stinks. Every team's not that great. There's 13 teams in the NFL right now that are two and two. Um, so it's, it's you know, like half the league is, is 500 right now. It's what the NFL has designed its league to be. It's what the NFL wants its league to be. And I think that's frustrating as a fan personally because it's hard to tell, like, who is good. It's no one really. And if every game means kind of nothing at the end of it, like, if every team's the same, then no result really means anything. I find that frustrating as a fan. Now, there's a counter-argument that says, but that means my team can win the Super Bowl. And that's true, too. But I, I think, for me, it is like frustrating to just kind of find the Ravens in this uh, you know, murky middle. Because uh, they're going to hang around. I know we just complained for like a, a minute straight. But I, I, I think the thing that annoys me just to... When I look at other teams and it annoys me like with the Ravens is it, it is good that the Ravens lose these games close, right? The Ravens just don't get blown out. But I would love Baltimore 
to just to win. I'm tired of the losing. Uh, I'm tired of losing close games. I want Ravens to win close games. I want the Ravens to remove them. They have more talent. They shouldn't be in this middle group of the NFL where every team's the same. They have too much talent. So, yeah, I mean, my takeaway from week week, uh, week four here is that every team's kind of just okay. As you said, outside the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are really good. And uh, every other team is the same. And that'll mean the Ravens hang around. Um and it'll make the division race intense, and I think makes Sunday night's game kind of a must-win. <laughs> yeah, the the last NFL team I want to talk about are the Green Bay Packers. They've been maybe the most confusing team. I they're three and one. <laughs> they're win, they won three in a row after losing the, the the most predictable week one. You know, are the Packers finally bad game? None of the wins have really been that convincing. Even the double-digit win against the Bears. They played at home against New England, uh, where New England started with a second-string quarterback and then very quickly had a third-string quarterback, and they made this zappy guy look like Tom Brady, like the, the the first few games of Tom Brady coming off the bench. They cannot stop the run, and I'm going to just tease my one of my gambling selections. I'm taking the Giants plus eight in London against Green Bay because the Packers cannot stop the run, uh, even in situations where... Let's not be concerned about the third-string quarterback beating us. They're going to run it. And, the boy, the Patriots did over and over and over again to the tune of five yards per carry. Shouldn't happen. The Packers' defense is good on paper, and they have struggled now multiple weeks against the run. I don't know. And that's why, yeah, that's why I end on the optimist note for the Ravens team. I believe this team can score points. I believe the defense can turn the ball over. They got a softer schedule now down the stretch. Uh... And yeah, boy, is 11 and 6 going to like be the number 1 seed, <laughs> much less win the AFC North based on how these teams look. Um so we'll see. We'll see on that. Tim, anything else on the NFL before we turn to the Bengals preview? Yeah, real quick, just the Packers is interesting too because like you said, their defense is supposed to be the thing that was going to carry them and then like Aaron Rodgers will figure it out with the offense. That isn't really happening. Shout out the Patriots for having that like good game. Um, when, you know, the week after playing the Ravens, not doing the annoying beat the Ravens by one thing. Uh, and Bailey Zappy, guys, is the Mac Jones era over in Foxborough? Is it Zappy time? Get Zaptacular in New England? Um, so, you know, we'll see. They probably have another Tom Brady. That's annoying. Um, let's see who else. The Jaguars put up a fight and then ended up losing. They went up 14 to Philadelphia, then Trevor Lawrence forgot to hold the ball in the rain, fumbled four <laughs> times, and the Eagles, I mean, I don't know if I'm on the Eagles train yet. Like, people are punching the Super Bowl ticket for them. Something tells me that Jalen Hurts loses to Tom Brady in, like, a weird divisional game in January. That's just me, but we'll have to see. Uh, and there was one other one. Oh, it might not work for Jace. And that's fine. Jace is a West Coast boy now, and he's very much a late sleeper, and we know this. But the London game was awesome. The Vikings-Saints game in London was amazing. Um, The refs were even worse than Jerome Bogar was, which was funny. There was a double doink. Kirk Cousins was doing weird stuff. Andy Dalton kind of showed up. Like, you know, two eh teams. I have Justin Jefferson in fantasy, so maybe that's why I really enjoyed it, because he went off, which is always fun to watch. Um, But, yeah. A fun game between the Vikings and Saints. The Saints absolutely got robbed with a couple horrendous penalty calls, including a hands to the face on Tyron Matthew when he didn't even touch anybody, which was just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. But 
I'm very happy that there's going to be another London game next week, even though it is Giants-Packers, and that's kind of a snooze fest. I'll be up at 9.30 in front of my television, starting my football day hours earlier than I should. Um, and I'm, I'm excited for it. So, yeah, maybe maybe a couple more of these in the future. Not the Ravens, though. I, I don't want the Ravens to play there. But just other games I don't really care about. It's great. All right, let's turn to huh, Sunday night, primetime. Sure. Maybe a must-win game in week five against the Bengals, if only because would you rather be 3-2 and two and have, what, in theory, a two-game lead over your biggest threat in the division? Or would you rather be 2-3 and three and be two games behind the Bengals in the division and have lost the home game uh, in the two-legged matchup against Cincinnati? Maybe. Uh, I think the three of us tend to fear primetime games. It's ingra- ingrained in our history. But Lamar Jackson tends to tends to like primetime games, and I think this season, with all the contract talk and him trying to show out, I have a hunch that he's going to have one of those games. Last season in primetime, beat Kansas City in an awesome game, beat the Colts in a ridiculous game, beat the Browns at home. All of those games were in primetime, and I think they're going to show out. Um, but the challenge is certainly going to be there with the history of the Ravens-Bengals last season. Two difficult games. But this secondary is not your Ravens secondary of last season. There are healthy players. Let's start. Yeah, I was going to start with the Ravens offense, but I'm going to flip it based on my last talking point. Let's start with the Ravens defense against the Bengals offense. Is this secondary against the Bengals receivers the most important matchup? Or is it actually, let's stop them on the run, against the run consistently and force the Bengals to get into third and sevens, third and eights, and let Burrow get sacked repeatedly, which was a major problem last season, was a major problem to start the season. Jace is going to talk about how they've corrected it slightly. But what is the most important matchup here? Is it the secondary, or is it just keep them into third and longs? It's very interesting because the Bengals, their offense has kind of been out of whack this year, and it's due in part to their inability to run the ball. So from that sense, it is important to stop the run, right? Because, you know, they're 26th in the NFL in rushing, and Joe Mixon is only averaging 2.7 yards a carry. That is tough. That is a bad look. If you're under under three in the NFL, you're doing something wrong. Um, So it it, it is important to keep them under wraps, uh, certainly, because that will make just the whole machine better but um yeah joe burrow he threw for 971 yards and eight touchdowns against the ravens last year in two games um the good news is it can only improve from there as we remember that 500 yard game was the one where uh chuck clark was the only healthy starter the ravens had and i think he missed that game because of covid um at the end of the last season and that was josh johnson starting at quarterback so you can kind of throw that game out, uh, but that still means Burrow threw over 400 yards in their other matchup, and so when, you know, Marlon Humphrey and a lot more other guys were still healthy and around. So, um, certainly I have fears of Jamar Chase. T. Higgins has had had a really good game against the Bengals. He uh, could also be a problem, I feel like, for, for the Ravens. They're just so dynamic there. And I worry about, though Burrow was sacked a ton to start the year, he's actually only been sacked um, three times the last two weeks. The Steelers and Cowboys lit him up. Uh, I think Tim could go in more to that. But I, I just worry with our pass rush that 
I, I think we're going to fall much more on those one to two sack get, uh, output versus what the Steelers and the Cowboys were able to do with TJ Watt just wreaking havoc and Micah Parsons for the Cowboys. Yeah, I think that those two guys uh, are a bit of an outlier when you look at a a a, a, a Dafe O Owe is the main pass. Okay, he's the main pass rusher for this team. Uh, he's not Micah Parsons. Got it. Yeah, that's not the same thing. Uh, yeah, it's interesting on Burrow. I, I was listening to Benjamin Solak of The Ringer, um, and he was talking about early. This is earlier in the season, actually, on my drive up to New England, so I had plenty of time for podcasts. They were talking about Burrow getting sacked more, and it was a bit different because the line obviously needs to gel. It's a bunch of new sign, signings on the line, but the line on paper is improved, right? But in Burrow's mind, it's improved, so he was taking an extra beat to get the ball out, and that was causing more sacks. Obviously, Parsons and Watt play a big part in that as well. But because Burrow wasn't like, holy crap, I have to get this ball out or my head's going to come off, he thought he could take an extra beat. He actually couldn't. He was taking more sacks. That has been resolved a little bit. This is from Kevin Cole uh, from Pro Football Focus. Obviously, Jace mentions the three sacks total over the last two weeks. Joe Burrow's percentage of pressures, the percentage of pressures that become sacks – in week one, it was 26.9. In week two, it was a third of them, 33.3%. Week three, 14.2. And last week, week four against the Dolphins, 8.3. So I think he is kind of resorting to his, again, get the ball out, get the ball out, get the ball out, and then obviously not playing the likes of Watt and Parsons. Um, really, really helped that as well. For, for Antonio's question... I think it's the third and longs. I really do, because that's going to give your defense the best chance to get off the field. That's how the Ravens were successful against the Bills, it felt like. There was obviously some short yardage stoppages and what have you, but I think the Bills were really successful, as we mentioned earlier, when it was first and 10, second and five, first and 10, second and four, first and 10, you know, first and 10 again, because they just get the first down and keep the chains moving that way. Keeping Joe Mixon limited... I think is going to be very important and underratedly important for a team that is not going to be without Mike. Michael Pierce is not going to play. Obviously he didn't play this week as well. He's out for the season. Uh, so Calais Campbell, Justin Matabuke, Broderick Washington, those guys on the line are going to have to be very important. And the only other reason I say that too, is I think this secondary is going to get cooked. I, I have, I have, and you know, I can look ahead to our document here. I have zero faith in this Raven secondary being able to hold off the likes of T Higgins and Jamar chase. Now, Maybe Marcus Peters yelling at everybody causes the the turnaround that we wanted after Miami with Harbaugh. It's not coming from him, clearly. Maybe Marcus Williams, who I have loved this season, becomes a ball hawk and, and takes some of those passes away that Har- that uh excuse me Joe Burrow would like to chase. But for me, you know, reason number one. The third and long is very important. Reason number two, I think the defensive line is more important just because I have no faith in the secondary doing anything in this game. Let's turn offensively now for the Ravens. Uh, the Ronnie Stanley watch has become a joke. That's why I just joked about it two minutes ago. He he seemed to be having his, his heaviest week of practice last week. He was a full participant in multiple practices for the first time in seven years. And all of a sudden, he didn't practice on the last day. Uh, yeah, the last practice, I believe it was Friday, was the last practice day. He just didn't practice, and then he was out. Uh, in this game, I have no idea what he's doing. They, they've been the the messaging on this has been at best confusing and at worst contradictory. Uh, they've said he's getting up to speed. They said they've said he could play any game. That he's ready to go. They've said it's about him feeling comfortable. 
playing. Then he said he had an additional major injury that wasn't even discussed uh, outside of the ankle, but he wouldn't say what it was and was hoping he, he hoped that he could let the good people know what it is, but he didn't say what it was. It's all very confusing. I have no idea. Any day now would be good because I don't want a fourth string left tackle who, boy, the, the metrics came out and it was like, ooh, Philele actually had a great game. No, he didn't. He got beat a lot. Uh, and he got beat by faster defensive players. He's a big guy. He probably has promise. He's pretty slow. Uh, getting out of his break on an obvious passing situation. Go ahead and watch the fourth down Lamar Jackson play on, on the goal line when they were unable to score and seal the game. Oh, gosh. Outside of Ronnie Stanley, we don't know the status of Rashad Bateman. We don't know the status of Justice Hill. Bateman kind of important, and Hill now kind of important after showing some speed and burst to the outside. Can Lamar Jackson carry this offense uh, against the Bengals' defense, which has never been sort of, never, of late has not been great. They're actually bottom half of the league uh, against the pass in the first quarter of this season. They're fourth against the run. Uh-oh. <laughs> Are you guys concerned? Offensively, the Ravens will not be able to generate enough on the ground and in the air to keep up with the Bengals' offense? Can we make this a shootout at home where Lamar Jackson makes enough plays, or is this offense going to stall out against the run and thus, or with the run and thus struggle with the pass? I, I definitely worry about it. I, and I, I, I think back to their first matchup last year when everyone, you know, was relatively healthy, or at least the Ravens, you could argue, are in, were in a very similar situation with not their starting left tackle and a uh, bunch of injuries, decimated running back core. And they had a lead on the Bengals in the third quarter, but then they just, the defense just gave up and gave up and gave up yards and big plays and touchdowns. And the offense couldn't answer the bell at the end of the day. And yeah, I worry about this team, certainly without Rashad Bateman, um, that they're they're going to be able to keep pace. And, and you said, I think Justice Hill's almost even a, a bigger injury problem because he's looked really good and he solved... A lot of problems for them and uh i think that means we'll end up seeing maybe the reactivation of kenyon drake or mike <laughs> davis actually gets a carry again and that didn't go well when we saw it earlier this season um obviously i i, I think jk dobbins has looked good at times but it's clear he's still working his way back you know from a major injury when he tore like everything in his knee so you know it, it's been promising to, to 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 see him i guess can I forget, can Edwards or uh, Bowser be reactivated yes, this week? they can. It's week so, five, yep, so that's big. Possibly see Gus. I'm not I'm not banking on it. Uh, just as a general aside, the way the Ravens treat injuries, I despise. Not just the Stanley thing, but just saying Rashad Bateman has a mid-foot injury. And then especially yesterday, Harbaugh was asked, because Bateman drops a pass in the third quarter, and then he basically didn't play again. And Harbaugh was asked, like... Uh, did he play because of injury or performance? And he said, like, I don't really know. Well, I'll have to look into that. It's like, you know the reason. You're the head coach. Someone probably told you Rashad Bateman is hurt. Just tell us he hurt his foot. Ravens fans are going to be way less mad that Rashad Bateman didn't play because he has an injured foot versus just like, 
I don't know. Maybe we benched him. Maybe we didn't. Just tell us what's going on. <laughs> that's, that's what's bothering Jace this week. He doesn't call offensive plays. Minutes, yeah. He doesn't call plays on offense. He doesn't call plays on defense. He has no idea whether players are injured or not, Jace. That's, that's his head coaching role. Just a flat-out lie to the press with something that is relatively minor. Because you know what? The Bengals are still going to prepare as if Rashad Bateman is playing in that game. So you have not done, like, the ultimate mind, you know, oh, Tim, I almost used a, a, yep. a poor word. They have not, he's not, like, bent their minds in the perfect way where they have no idea. Like, they're still going to game plan for it. You could have just been a little bit clear. Uh, oh, oh, boy. I, I'm getting frustrated, guys. As this episode's gone along, I was calmer, and now I'm more annoyed. Tim, uh, Ravens offense. Can they do enough? Yeah, I will just say, if the Ravens continue this way, uh, we're putting the explicit tag on this show. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's going to have to happen at some point. On the back end, guys, it's easy as a click of a button. I can do it at any time. Uh, but it, I don't know. Like, what has this offense been if not Lamar Jackson's show? I have no other analysis than what you guys have provided, and it's not just because we're running kind of long here. It's let's see if Lamar just do does Lamar stuff. And when I say Lamar stuff, you know, not the interception stuff where it's like terrible balls. I will say this, and we didn't mention him at all yet, I don't think, and if we have, I apologize. J.K. Dobbins was strong to start this game, as was the Ravens, uh, you know, offense and team in general. A full game of J.K. being like that because he kind of, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was another injury, but he got hit pretty hard on one play, and I think they got really, really cautious with him, and that's why you saw a lot of Justice Hill. Maybe, you know, if he's good to go, and at some point you got to take the training gloves off of these guys, Ronnie Stanley, like, Let's let's have a big JK day, huh? And that control the clock, run it down their throat, take time. Like keys to success for the Ravens in the past. Like let's let's turn the clock back a little bit with that. And I think it would be very encouraging to see uh you know, if we come out of this saying, "Wow, it didn't have to be the Lamar Jackson show for them to win a primetime game on Sunday night." All right, uh, I'm going to let you guys touch on any intangibles or coaching coaching aspects of this game. This is the right time to bring up coaching uh, the coaching comparison in this matchup, but I feel like everything I've teased has been anti-Ravens in this matchup, and then I'm going to turn to my picks. I'm taking the Ravens, minus three. Uh, they are a 28-point fourth quarter and a fourth and two from being 4-0. Uh, instead, they're 2-2. Two and two. I think they're a pretty good football team. I do think they have talent. I think Lamar Jackson keeps them in every game. The bank's going to be rocking. I love a home game in prime time with Lamar Jackson. And I'm taking Ravens minus 3. They are 2-1-1 one one against the spread. Uh, and I'm taking them. Uh, and I'm going to run through my other picks here. Went 3-1 and one last week also. So a strong week for me. Picked the Ravens correctly by half a point. Uh, picked the Raiders and picked the Vikings correctly. The only one I got wrong was the over, even though they had 30 points total at halftime. Could not get to 51. That's fine. Whatever. 3-1 and one last week. 8-5 and five on the season. Feeling good. We are moving forward. Outside of the Ravens pick, I'm taking, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, the Giants plus 8 against the Green Bay Packers in London. I think Green Bay is just going to struggle with Saquon Barkley getting the ball over and over and over again, and I think the Giants keep it close. I don't think they win this game. Do they have that late touchdown, late field goal, you know, cover potential? Absolutely. Has Green Bay struggled to score repeatedly? Absolutely. 
so I think that number is just too high for a neutral site. Uh, so I'm taking the Giants. And then my final pick, and this is a, like, do the, uh, you know, Tim on the back end, get some, like, uh, the alarm, the siren noise for this during <laughs> wee, the episode. Wee, Thank wee, you. Wee, wee. Uh, because this is officially my lock of the year, and oh. I'm very excited to bring it to you guys in week five, oh, and I'm God. very excited that it's a tease, because that means, you know, better odds and, and more, more cash in our pockets. Um, and I was waiting, waiting for something to, to jump out, and it took five weeks, but here it is. Um, it's a teaser. Six points. Three teams. The Minnesota Vikings at home, uh, moving that line from minus seven against the Chicago Bears to minus one. The Vikings will beat the Bears at home by more than a point. The Bears cannot score. Fields looks terrible. And the Vikings can score 20 points in this game and put it completely out of reach for that Bears offense. I love that minus one. The Jags. I'm moving that from minus 7 to minus 1 at home against the winless Texans. The Jags are good. The fact that they lost this game to the Eagles helps this line. If they had somehow beat the Eagles, this line would have been way higher. Instead, they lost to them, so they're only 2-2 two and two on the season. The Jaguars are a better football team than the winless Houston Texans. They are winning that game at home by more than one point. The third one in this, the Lions are currently plus three at the Patriots. You move that line. I'm taking the Lions, guys, on the road in New England, plus nine. I'm taking them plus nine because the Patriots can't score. And you know who can score? The Detroit Football Lions. They have put up 35, 36, 24, and 45 in their four games this season. They are three and one against the spread. All of their losses have been by one score, and they're going up against the Patriots. Either it's Hoyer, who's, I think he's like 1-14 in in his last 15 (laughs) starts, or it's Zappi in Game 2, which for those third-string quarterbacks who have a little bit of flash in their first game, it's that second game where there's a little bit of film on them that all of a sudden they stink. And the Lions just have to lose by 9 points or less? I'm into this. I think the Lions may win this game straight up. I, don't, I think the plus three is a bad line. I think getting it at plus nine is crazy. Even in New England, the Lions are going to outscore them, maybe win the game straight up. I think the plus nine is very comfortable. Those are my three teams. I might, I might have to leave, guys. I might have to stop this podcast right now, have you guys close it up, so that I can jump onto something and, and figure out what that is. Three team tees. You bet $100, you win 160 It's my lock of the year. I love it, Antonio. Uh, as for the Ravens, I am also with you <laughs> in taking the Ravens minus three, despite uh, my, my feelings of pessimism I feel like I've expressed on the show. I do still think, and I think that's what's most frustrating with the Ravens, is they are a good team. They have too much talent, and that's why I think it was worth having that hardball conversation, because this team's really talented, and the team's very close. They're in every game, but they're just not finding ways to win, and I don't know if that's John Harbaugh. I don't know if that's the player leadership on this team or the disconnect between those two groups, but something is not translating to wins. But it will on Sunday. In a Sunday night game, are the Ravens really losing six straight home games? That is unprecedented. I don't see it. Um, you know, they haven't had a, a primetime game in a while. I do hate this, but it will work out for me personally because I was planning to uh, attend a crab feast on Sunday afternoon, and uh, I don't know. Uh, Welcome back, buddy. I, 
I know. I was very, I'm very excited for it. Uh, so knowing now that I get to watch this game in the evening, that's fantastic. What a day I have planned on Sunday. I'm already looking forward to it. But uh, so I am picking the Ravens. I, I think they're good. I think it's kind of. You know, they're, they're right there. They just need to finish, which they have shirts that say it. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Stop talking about it. Just finish your game. 60 full minutes. Uh, and then my other picks, I'm doing the Falcons plus eight and a half at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We talked about the Falcons. I think Arthur Smith's a good coach. He gets the most out of yeah. what is not a very good roster. And I don't know, like, if Arthur Smith's going to win a Super Bowl ever with the Falcons. But he is a good coach because he's elevated that team a lot. Uh, and, and they're in every game. They've been in every game this year. They're 2-2. Two and two. You look at that roster. This team shouldn't be as competitive as they are. And the Bucks have problems. Uh, the Bucks have real problems. <laughs> uh, and uh, I still think they win. But I think the Falcons can cover that because um, they pretty much have all year. And then I, 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 I picked the Cardinals last week. I did have another 2-1 and one week. Of course, I lost the Ravens. Uh, so we're, we're building back after a tough 0-6 uh, start. But two, that's two 2-1 two weeks in a row. Lost the Ravens game in the dumbest scenario that made me feel the worst. But uh, I did get the Cardinals. But I'm picking against the Cardinals uh, this week. I'm picking the Eagles minus 5 at, at Arizona. Cardinals, not really a uh, fantastic home field <laughs> advantage. Uh, one of the teams that gets invaded by opposing fans. And I think there's going to be a big Philly contingent. They're very all in on this team. And, you know, I, I'm not like, so, I, I think, Tim, you expressed you're not 100% sold on the Eagles. I'm not either, but I, I'm not confident in this Cardinals squad. I, I don't think they're a great operation. And they're kind of lucky to have the record they have, frankly. So, um you know, I, I think it's more a bet against the Cardinals than faith in the Eagles. But uh, Eagles minus five at the Cardinals is my final pick. Jace, yeah. Jace, I hope you love that. I hope that wins for you. That line stinks. That line stinks. <laughs> the Eagles have been world beaters for four weeks. Everybody is going to bet that line at less than a touchdown. I hate it. I hope you're right. I hate it. <laughs> I think that's kind of where I was at when I was looking at that one, too. And I, I like the Eagles. I think the Eagles are one of the best teams in the National Football League. I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year with Jalen Hurts at quarterback, but hey, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, he has done very well this year. Um, you all are insane for taking the Baltimore Ravens after watching <laughs> what we just watched. I cannot believe the the sewage spewing out of your mouth. I'm taking Balt uh, Bengals alt line minus six, and I think that they're going to win by a touchdown in Baltimore. And I, I'll, I'm kidding. I'm going to take them plus three because I mean. The Ravens should not be favored in any game against an opponent who went to the Super Bowl last year and ripped them to shreds twice. And I don't care about the injury situation, what have you. Uh, Joe Burrow in prime time is also a gamer. He is a dude. That that scares me. So I'm taking Bengals plus three. Uh, I'm going to take the Titans minus two and a half away to the Commanders. The Titans are good. Guys. I mean, they're not good, but they're they're better than everybody thought. They just went into Indianapolis and steamrolled the Colts, who might be really bad. The Commanders are really bad. Like, Washington fans are already on the, oh, my God, this is the Carson Wentz experience. Yes, this is the Carson Wentz experience. Derrick Henry is going to go in there, and if FedEx doesn't take one of his kneecaps, he's going to score a bunch of points. Minus two and a half Titans Commanders for me. I know it's on the road. And then I had Falcons away to Tampa plus eight and a half. I did. But my fantasy quarterback situation is pretty rough. I have Marcus Mariota, and I have Jared Goff. I benched Jared Goff, and I started Marcus Mariota. Jared Goff went off for 33 points. Marcus Mariota, three, 
Because of that, the Falcons are getting axed off of this, and I'm taking the Detroit Lions plus three away to the New England Patriots. The Detroit Lions are a competitive football team, man. Dan Campbell, man, has got them playing hard, man. Motor City Dan Campbell rocking the ACDC, going into New England. Plus three. New England wins this by one on some stupid play or some dumb mistake that the Lions make. But they win it by one. They don't win it by more than three. Give me Lions plus three, baby. Let's ride, Dan. And they certainly don't win it by more than nine. That's true. Very. If I, if I knew, if I still understood how teases work, which by the way, I've been doing the show four years with you, and I still don't get it at all. But if I knew that, I would probably try and do that. But I'll just take the plus three instead. Jared Goff, eleven hundred passing yards, eleven touchdowns, three interceptions, a ninety-nine quarterback rating. Good Risky. offensive line, good offensive line, so he's not under pressure because that's when everything falls apart for Jared Goff. Amon Ross St. Brown, who didn't even play this week, is an elite wide receiver. Jason, I know that. that I'm not going to do any more fantasy talk because people hate that stuff. Good offense. DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, very good too. Good offense there in Detroit. All right, the last thing to do. Answer, the random raven. Tim, can you give us those clues? One more time. Yeah, let's run through these because you guys have it. Let's see if the listeners do as well. You can always let us know if you got it or if you didn't get it or if you have suggestions at Pod Like a Raven on Twitter and Instagram. Probably the easiest place to find us. Clue number one. This player joined the Ravens as an undrafted free agent out of Texas. He spent 11 seasons in the league playing for the Ravens and one other team. Clue number two. This player won a Super Bowl during his four years in Baltimore, but during those four years, he only started 19 games. Clue number three. This three-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, and one-time AP Offensive Player's best year was best year in Baltimore. Excuse me, was in 1998, where he started 13 games and ran for 1,008 yards. Seeing as this guy became kind of ridiculous. Clue number four: This player currently holds the record for career rushing touchdowns and career total touchdowns for the other team that he played for in the National Football League. That's obviously where he won all these awards as well, because he did not win them in Baltimore. And clue number five. He wore Dewan Landry's number in his rookie season, but then switched to Devontae Freeman's number before donning Jamal Lewis's number when he moved to the Chiefs. So I will allow you both, Antonio, you can start if you like, to answer. I think you both have it, but let's see. The revisionist history on this is one of my favorite in Ravens lore. Uh, my guess is Priest Holmes on this, and I'll let Jace agree or disagree, and then I want to do 10 seconds on the revisionist history for this. That, that's who I landed on to, uh, Antonio. It was Priest Holmes. It is Priest Holmes. That is correct. So he's the, the Ravens, in theory, lead back until they draft Jamal Lewis, who has an amazing rookie year. They win the Super Bowl. And then it's like, well, we don't, you know, fair to Priest Holmes. We don't need him anymore. We have a really good starter. So Priest Holmes leaves. And then Jamal Lewis tears his ACL and misses year two, and he misses the entire season of the Ravens' defense of their Super Bowl title. If they're able to get some deal for Priest Holmes, who nobody knew was Priest Holmes yet, do they go back-to-back? Do they repeat with Elvis the Man Gerback at quarterback? That was a playoff team. They had a lot of that defensive core still intact. If they have what then becomes the all-pro Priest Holmes in the backfield, that team could have gone back-to-back. Probably. I mean, that would have been sweet, but we got Elvis Gerback in there and everything was ruined. As my dad liked to call him Pinocchio because he ran with his legs straight. They never bent his knees. He had wooden legs. He would run with his legs straight. Ah, man. It's always good to have the quarterback that plays so badly he immediately retires after he plays for your team. Yeah, that was tough. That was tough. Uh, Trent Dilfer. 
Never forgot. Never forgot that they uh, moved on from him after the Super Bowl. All right. That's going to do it for us. Uh, this was cathartic. This was important. And can we just get a regular football game from the Ravens, please? Just a 10 nothing lead that never becomes less than a field goal lead, and then you just finish. Just finish. That would be nice. Uh, and we can come back here talking about the first place 3-2 and two Baltimore Ravens. For Tim Horsey and Jace Evans, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us, as always, on Pod with the Raven. We will see you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.